Welcome to the Lights On Show. I'm your host, Jacob Morissette, and this is a podcast where we talk about self-development. In this week's episode, I have a conversation with Johnny Morissette, a lifelong salesman who currently works as a sales director for Guardian Home. Him and I talk about controlling the flow of a meaningful conversation and how to build your name. If you guys enjoy this episode, it brings some value to your life. Please be sure to follow me on Twitter at lights underscore show. All right, guys. So this is uh, Johnny Morissette. This is my uncle, obviously, because the last name's the same. Uh, and I'll just let him introduce himself and kind of give you guys a run up on who he is and what he does. All right, guys. Well, uh, hello. And uh, Jake, thank you for, you for uh, having me on. Um, so currently, I'm the sales director for a company called Guardian Home. Um, we are a general contractor and the largest residential roofing contractor in the state of Washington. Um, as far as the rest of my past goes, uh, in one way or another, I've been in the customer service industry for about 22 years. The majority of it has been in management, which I usually take my management style as more of a collaborative attempt or a collaborative style where I take everybody's opinion into you know into effect because at the end of the day, there's a million different ways to do things, and the best way to always try to be able to get production out of the people is to make sure that they feel like they're um, that their opinion and values are met, and it's not just you forcing the way you feel like you should be uh, or the way you feel it should be done, but you actually listen and actually actively have those people. Um, feel like they're collaborative and actually have a point to be able to make towards the final decision that you're making. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. So obviously, uh, like you said, you have a really strong uh, background in sales and in uh, the way that you need to be able to communicate with people. Obviously, because uh, you know you said that you direct a a team of people and and you teach them all this stuff. So I think, especially starting out and not knowing. A lot of uh, obviously I have a good communication skills. I've talked about this previous in the podcast, but I'm really involved in DECA, and I'm I'm, a, I'm quite a good salesperson when it comes to my local small level uh, at the student store. I run the till, and so on a more professional level, what are some kind of ways that you can maybe break down in how to control a conversation, or how to how to direct it in the way that I need to go? For example, right now, um, this is like kind of the first um, like the first episode. This is like the first interview I'm having, and uh, the agenda that I want to have is how to better this podcast. So maybe some uh, tips, recommendations that you would have to control the flow. The best way to control the flow is um, remember that the person who's asking the questions is the person who's controlling the conversation. Um, It can be very easy to ask a person a question and let them um, overtake what the content of the decision is by letting them just continue to keep asking questions or continue to keep talking. So the best way and the way I've always trained everybody to do this is um, there's two parts of any type of interview or any type of sales or any type of conversation. There's one is setting the stage. Setting the stage is going to be a series of open-ended questions that you're going to ask the other person what their opinion is. Um, Open-ended questions are questions that do not result in a yes or no answer. They have to actually have some content and some thought process behind them. So um, the way I usually tell most of my people to do it is remember that time, what you're really looking for is whatever content you're actually uh, trying to get into or trying to figure out, you need to be able to find the other person's who, what, where, when, why, and how, like what is that important to them? So for you on this situation right now is what's important to you is 
growing a very good podcast and being able to increase your skill set in uh, interview skills. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do that by being able to ask, you know, random people and other people instead of professional interviews to be able to talk with that. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, when are you going to do that? You're going to do it, you know, on scheduled time frames. and are you kind of catching my flow on yeah, how I do yeah. this? Okay. So, um, most of the time, those questions should be anywhere between two questions to maybe four questions at most. You don't want to, if you're going to control the conversation or guide it to the area that you want it to go to, if you ask too many questions, what you're going to notice is you're going to start going down on, you know, uh, tangents that actually don't really have a full purpose towards the actual, um, end game that you're looking for. Like they have no value with the initial point of it exactly so that that's why you want to try to keep those things short but you can also remember that you know when you have those things like what i was talking about with who what where when why and how you don't always have to ask that question directly you can actually be able to just use inference you can use observational studies to be able to understand those things Mm -hmm. you walked into my house today you know that i've got a little one you know you know that you're my nephew you know things about me already you can do that type of stuff just by watching and looking and, you know, just understanding who the person is. And you can somewhat sometimes shorten that up after you get through the setting the stage aspect. The next best thing to do at that point is you're going to re ask assumptive yes questions. So this is where you're going to get into closed, actual closing questions. Um, so you're going to be looking for that yes or no answer, but you want to be able to get the answer that you wanted by setting up the stage off of what you heard from the original setting the stage. Mm-hmm. So if I heard, you know, like you told me that, you know, you're trying to do this so that way you can get better at this, you know, as a skill set of interviewing and, you know, going from there. I now know that that's a fact for it and I can now be able to ask you that question and I on purpose used the am I right statement to you earlier to guide that conversation the way I wanted it to go. Uh-huh. And because then I can make assumptions onto what you're going to say next because I've already got you to start agreeing to what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that's why it's so important to be able to understand those things. Now, what happens if you get an answer that is not what you were assuming and you are, it completely throws you off the railing? Well, that's easy. You just go back to the setting the stage, which is ask an open-ended question, ask more clarifying questions to understand it, and then re-enroll that aspect of what they're saying back into your actual discussion of going down the direction that you want to. Yeah. If you do that correctly, you'll definitely have a very good collaborative conversation. The people will think that they're actually being heard. And more importantly, you're going to be able to get down to the real brass tacks of what you're looking for. So conversations, again, the person who's controlling the conversation is the person who's asking questions. Now, the way you are able to take back the control of a conversation if you lose it is ask a bookended question. Basically, you answer the question with a question, and I know that people hate that, but that's the way you take back control of a, uh, of a conversation if you start losing control of it. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I feel like, like when a dog's starting to run away, and you gotta kind of pull it back. Like initially, it's it's pulling you, but when you ask that, que- when you answer the question with a, another question, you're almost pulling it back, and then you're able to re uh, you're able to re steer it. And I kind of like what you're talking about how when you say right, and that helps you to learn how to assume. I think that's definitely something that at least I know I've been kind of doing subconsciously. Um, I think it kind of works. 
and like a lot of aspects like when even like uh, my AP classes right all of our questions are open ended there is no simple questions in these AP courses that um are at an accelerated rate and um but I think being able to hear that helps more solidify that into the brain and almost puts it from that classroom perspective into this uh, this idea that we have right now, like I said, I'm trying to set up a more professional setting with an actual purpose, an agenda, and uh, you know, hopefully to give an audience a, a meaningful piece of uh, art, or some people would consider it art, but to give them something that's of value, of worth. So actually, you mentioned that sometimes you can get derailed, right? So people can go on really long tangents, and I notice that I do this a lot myself. Um, I think especially for me what are some ways maybe like that you can almost take control of yourself because obviously yeah we can bring up the question let's say i say you like dogs am i right and then you would say no and i'll be like oh but you have a dog sitting right behind me right so like then then i could be like kind of bring it back and kind of bring it back to maybe the base of the discussion let's say it was animals and then i have to kind of rework it and say okay so now you like cats or like to almost kind of re you know take over that thought process so like how would I do that then for myself if I go on a rant almost like is there a mental check is there a way to I mean besides just cutting the audio right because sometimes that may hurt the flow of the conversation um or to Loki you just let it go on and maybe see if you can after your rant maybe tie that in back to um what the conversation is supposed to be about so I'll tell you in my experience the it's very few and far between when a rant actually becomes profound inside of a conversation. It's usually typically just that. Um, the way I've always approached it for myself is that, um, first off, I'll tell you, it's really important for you to always take notes all the way through everything. Um, a pen and a piece of paper, it's not only just a physical thing that allows you to be able to actually make sure that you're 100% only listening to that person. If you think about it, you're now taking multiple senses to actually understand and hear what they're saying. So when you're physically taking notes, you're now kinesthetically listening and taking it to memory, but you're also, you know, audibly listening and taking it to memory. You're also using your visual aspects Mm -hmm. to be able to listen to it. So you're engaging multiple aspects of your actual um, ability to hear that person. And that actually helps just keep you off from doing tangents. The other thing that I do when I realize I'm going off on a tangent is I ask myself the question of what the purpose or the intent of the call or what the interview is for. Um, If I know that I can always be able to ask myself that as a question, it becomes a checkpoint to allow me to get back to the point. Um, If I catch myself going off on a tangent, a lot of the times I actually will just go ahead and tell the person that I'm talking with or I will tell myself, you know, hey, well, that's a little bit off topic. Let's maybe go ahead and circle back to that at the end. Uh-huh. But let's go ahead and finish this part of it. But a big part of that, though, is, like I said, is using multiple actual senses um, to keep yourself on point is really, really, really huge. And I think that especially in today's day and age where um, technology has become so overly you know used for people um we tend to go ahead and try to be able to have things like uh recordings or try to be able to have other things that don't actually require actual mindset to have it done Mm -hmm. 
But like what you're doing here, Jake, I mean, you're using your iPod or your iPad and you're using a, a stylus, but you're physically writing the notes. You're not mm -hmm. typing them. Yeah. Um, you're physically doing it and that you will actually remember more information by going down that road because again, you're engaging multiple aspects of, of your senses to understand the content. And like actually writing it down. And technically I wasn't really taking notes, but I get your point. I'll start taking them now throughout the, throughout the interview. <laughs> well, but, uh, here's the other thing that's cool that when you, when you do that as well, it also might go ahead, and so you were talking about earlier how um, sometimes when these conversations, the best way these conversations are ever actually taken up is because of a one-off thing that might come up. Well, if you take the notes, it allows you to be able to always close the door on the topic that you are listening to, and then you're able to circle back to the more relevant things. This is the one thing I will tell you that can become a crux to people when they're taking notes or they're trying to um, go ahead and, you know, hey, I, I want to really talk about this piece later. Um, is that just because you wrote a note down on something doesn't mean you have to go back to it. Sometimes it might become irrelevant as the conversation goes on. Um, but still, it, it's that active part of, your, uh, of the interview style that really help being able to, you know, not lose track of what the content's supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, and so obviously this is, uh, I mentioned this a lot in my previous episodes, but obviously I'm a student, so that means maybe some people aren't going to have respect for me. So I always try to make sure I include examples. That way I'm almost doing the audience their own work, and I'm kind of interpreting the way I learn things into maybe a way that they can learn it. So for example, I'm a student, and I'm using this information to grow my podcast. So um I kind of want to break down maybe how can this be related to a person in a sales position. I think a lot of the points that you um, bring up besides like the physical notes, I think it'd be kind of weird if you're you know making a sale to someone or you're talking to someone about, you know, you're trying to control a conversation with a client and you're sitting there you know, taking notes. But um, I think everything else you kind of mentioned can definitely apply the um, understanding open-ended questions, um, understanding their, the, the five W's, the who, what, where, why, and how, even though the how is not really a W, but... Um, at least what I've seen in my, you know, little, um, little bit of sales work that I have is, is that that definitely is applicable, that understanding who the customer is and being able to uh, understand the dialogue with them. For example, I have people walk in my student store and I, I know who they kind of are. I know what they kind of buy on a regular basis, or I see what kind of friends they hang out with, like in the hallways. And I'm able to understand the, the type of personality that they have, whether or not if they're a drink, if they if they like getting uh, iced coffees, or if they like getting ice drinks, or they like getting chips, or are they um, like the kind of food that they get? And so sometimes, when obviously they're kids, so they kind of don't really have very good people skills. I get kids that are sitting out there making out with their girlfriends, trying to order uh, something from me, and so obviously they don't really have that good of people skills. But I think I almost have to be the bigger person in the sales position and then control the conversation. So obviously that's still a kid perspective though, uh, or a, a teenager perspective. Um, so maybe if you heard some points that I didn't hit, like how specifically can as like a salesperson at Best Buy or salesperson at car toys or someone that's in that one-on-one -on -one customer, one -on -one customer conversation, um, like how can they then control that to get the sale? Obviously, cause that's what their livelihood, that's what their job is. So it is important. So the first thing I would tell you is know your audience. Um, so, and I 100% agree with you, you know, it, working in a, a place like a student store, doing notes is probably going to be a little bit awkward there. However, 
um, working at a place. So as you know, Jake, I, I worked at a place called Magnolia Audio Video uh, years ago, and they were a high-end audio uh, company. They also did car stereos and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go into other realms that are not just as traditional of a um, a needs or wants, or sorry, not a needs or wants, but as a want and a small purchase type of item, um, it all comes down to consistency. So um, if I'm constantly um, writing notes and people are seeing that I'm constantly writing notes, then they just automatically assume that that's the norm. Um, most people don't understand what it actually takes to go into and sell in, you know, in industry A compared to industry B. So as long as you are um, being consistent with what you normally do, most people don't have any idea of the way it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, shameful plug here. There is a, a great um, YouTube channel or YouTube video called Science of Persuasion, um, and it goes through six uh, actual effective things that you can use um, in any type of conversation or relationship with people. Um, and those things come down to is reciprocity, um, consistency, um, I'm going to have to remember all of them right off the top of my head. So a reciprocity, consistency, scarcity, authority, consensus, and there's one that I'm missing here. But anyway, those, if you guys watch Science of Persuasion, you'll end up seeing that these are actual uh, effects that you can use. It's a 12-minute long video. It's, it's really, really well done. But those types of skill sets can actually help guide you through any type of interaction that you're using as well. Okay. So, I, so like I said, um, well, like you said, uh, if you guys want to be able to get a perspective other than the students, if you can't make the bridge, go on over there. Or, uh, yeah, just try to make the effort and see how you can apply it to your own life. And then uh, another thing I want to get to, uh, especially for me, since I'm uh, first starting and I'm building something new and something that's still fresh, um, like, how can I build my name faster? So I'll just kind of do what I'm doing right now. I'll tell you what I'm doing right now and then uh, kind of maybe some advice that you've seen uh, in the multiple multiple different companies that you've seen and obviously the teams you've had to build. I think that perspective would be really cool to hear. Uh, so right now, obviously, I kind of go around telling everyone in my school like crazy. I have a bunch of friends that are trying to plug me on their Snapchats, plugging me on their Twitters. I do have a Twitter page. Uh, I plug that in the beginning of each episode at the lights underscore show. Uh, and that's where all my information is. Um, I also have business cards that I hand out whenever I can. Um, so, for example, with DECA, that's a great networking opportunity that I have in order to be able to communicate with students especially, um, but also with the advisors. And then I also kind of go around wherever I can. I always hold my uh, uh, my little card holder and stuff like that. But as of, well, besides that, maybe some other ways I can step outside of the box in order to continue to get my name out there and to build my name further into uh, larger territories of net, of the market. Uh, well, one of the things I tell you first off is uh, with the people that you're asking to like plug or having those people do it, ask them their opinion as well. Um, people, you will get far more um, reach with people if they feel like they're part of the growth of the program um, than just you doing the growth of the program. So asking them, hey, you know, did you hear my show? What did you think? What would what could I do differently? And even if you're not going to take their advice, 
if you acknowledge or let them give you some advice, they're going to immediately start taking partial ownership of the program that you're creating, Jake. Mm. And the minute you get it, in the corporate world, they call it renters versus buyers. Um, literally, every corporate America jobs, they want people to be in positions that are buyers. Buyers are not, and I'm not talking about like the actual um, people who that they're trying to sell to. I'm talking about the employees that they're trying to keep. They want people to buy into their um, their value statements and their mission statements. They want people to feel like they're going to be there for a long haul. And to do that, you have to be able to make sure that that person feels like their opinion matters. Um, so that's one way I would tell you. The next thing I would tell you is you also got to remember in today's day and age what the attention span of the average person is looking at things. That is true. Um, so we live in a digital age now of uh, social media and things and Truthfully, um, I know personally for me, if something is around three minutes or more, I probably am not going to look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, doing yourself little shameful plugs, and there's nothing shameful about them, but uh, giving yourself a little snapshots of, you know, between, I'd say, 90 seconds of just interesting content um, that you that you can be able to have and plug it in from there. Um, you know, when I ran my own company, we would always try to find the quirkiest ways to talk about the things that we wanted to bring up. And we would do that because it all came from the adage of cheese sells. And I mean like cheesy stuff sells, mm-hmm. um, all of the greatest things, you know, that people have done sales wise were always brought up as like this weird cheesy thing. And that's why, you know, they got successful. I mean, think about, um, you know, you have the pet rock. This is probably a little bit older than when you were um, going, but uh, the pet rock is one of the biggest things that one person has ever sold that really didn't require any type of technical knowledge. And that guy, he is never working again a day in his life. No. Um, think about the guy who created the, um, what the heck are those, those uh, blankets that have sleeves on them? Oh, um, I know what they're called. They're, uh, 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 not like fuzzies. Um, what are they called? Snuggies. 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 That's what uh, they're called. But think about this, though. So if you go back and watch the original Snuggie commercials, they're about as cheesy as cheese can get. They're not going to talk about you know what they're actually practically using them for, but they are. They put on these real quick 30-second, 40-second things of this person getting off the couch, watching a movie, and about as cheesy as you can get. So it's like it's like artificial hype train. Exactly. So if you want to be able to grow your thing, um, also remember comedy helps out big too, man. Um, you know, uh, making fun of yourself. I know that some people don't like it. Some people do. But I'm going to tell you, if you've got the confidence to go ahead and do it, that will get people to go ahead and say, you know what? Hey, at least that guy's real. Yeah. So I'd probably tell you that those are the three things that I would probably look at. Um, it's just, you know, remembering, you know, where your audience is, how long your actual segments are that you're trying to be able to have. Um Here's a really important part about it as well, though, is are you always sticking true to your mission and your values? Um, and, and if you don't, if you've never actually put that down on paper yet, that might be something that you want to put down on paper because your show should follow a content stage of what is this show supposed to be getting to and how is it going to grow and what are you hoping it to be able to do? And if you kind of follow those things, then you'll end up having a, a really good show that will end up sparking people's interest to listen to more. Actually, I think this is where the note taking comes right into, right into play. But you talk about uh, writing stuff down, having that physical, um, that physical thing actually being put on there. And I talk about that. Um, I think one of my worst mistakes as a student 
Um, but I think that also helps to solidify, I think, especially for the audience that uh, taking notes and writing stuff down, writing down your goals. And I, and I technically have not written down like a mission statement and where I want it to go. I've always kind of had that in my head. I've written goals, obviously, of, um, I want to have these certain things done by this point. I want to, uh, like when I first started, I didn't upload any videos for the first month, month and a half. Cause I wanted to have a surplus of episodes, but I wrote that down. I said, I'm going to have a month and a half surplus episodes. That way when I get busy with school, I have them done. Plus that way I can have like a, almost a grace period of just learning, training, not having to worry about when to schedule interviews, not having to worry or not having to be on a timeline basically. So I did write the ty- that, that type of stuff down. Um, and that actually was really helpful. Um, being able to not only want to explain to people because I was hyping this thing up for a couple of months. So everyone's like, Hey, it's been two months. Where's that? And I was like, I'm working on it. I have it written down. I got a plan. I think I should definitely include my mission statement uh, on what this podcast is. I kind of have a few floating around there, uh, like kind of what the general purpose of this is. But I think if I can write it down officially for myself and like almost stamp it on my wall and then make that my mission statement on my Twitter or make that on my business card because right now they're two different things. So I kind of feel like an idiot for that. Um, But that can be uh, especially important. And then understanding where I want it to go. Um, is also important. And it's kind of like a side note. It's still kind of uh, applicable, but it's like I was saying, it says the thing that got you there isn't going to be the thing that gets you somewhere else or it goes something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so I think it definitely is applicable in this situation uh, because obviously right now um, that whole, you know, getting everyone's information. I feel like w- um, I need to definitely get a lot of my peers from informa- um, what their opinions are, make them feel like they're a part of it. But I remember reading something or listening to someone else's uh, work or they're another creator and they're talking about how when they first started out, they did that too, right? But then after a certain point, it gets to where you have so many different opinions that it's almost like too much. So how do you know? Because obviously, I always want to be able to listen to always, you know, always listen to them and be able to at least hear them. But at a certain point, yes, it does get too much. So how do I almost track Let's say I get 100,000 listeners in a year, right? That's way too That's 100,000 voices all at one time. That's way too many to be trying to listen to and to try to grow from. So maybe some tips that you've seen in the struggles that you've been through or the bosses that you've been through on like almost like how, like what what voices and opinions are important and how do I kind of find them? So um, what I would tell you, Jake, is um, so there's two different pieces that you need to have. You need to have a mission statement. Then you also need to have a core value of what you're looking for. Um, the core values are going to be things that you actually stand for. Your mission statement is going to be something of, you know, what are you actually looking to do? Okay. So those are the things you kind of want to be able to, um, you know, actually actively work on. Now, if you get a hundred to 150,000, you know, whatever, and you have so much of a populace that, there's no way you can accurately be able to take everybody's opinion. Um, I would tell you the best thing to be able to do is always make sure you have an agenda of what your conversation is and what opinion you're looking for. And then only look at that, what that agenda is. Um, Because you're going to get thrown things left and right that aren't really always pertinent. And writing down um, what your actual... um, what you're actually looking for in um, in content. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna have to try to think about exactly where I was going with that because there was a good point to hear. Um, 
So basically, if you have an agenda and you are trying to be able to get from point A to point B in that agenda, you're going to want to ask questions about that specific agenda. Even if you get multiple different opinions and thought processes, always finish out that one agenda before you move on to the next thing. And this way, you're going to be able to take the opinion of your listeners into effect because you're going to be having them ask, you know, talk about it specifically what you're actually looking for. And then at that point, what you can be able to do is if you get other topics and great content that you would think about that you can use at a later date, use it at a later date. That's when you take notes and you categorize your time um, to be able to go from go down to that point. Um, I would also tell you creating a list of priorities. Um, I do it every single day. Um, in my business, you know, I, I, there's 90 people that work at my company. Um, I directly oversee a, a team of about 20 people. Um, however, I am, you know, one of five managers in the entire company and there's, you know, 90 people. So I get constant feedback from everybody nonstop mm -hmm. and, Sometimes there's really good content of what I get from those people, but I've got to prioritize what and when I'm going to be able to. And if that means I've got to bump that one piece that I think is really important because I need to still be able to get to my um, my standards of everything that I have to do in one day and I have to bump something three or four times, I'm going to do that because it's going to, where is it aligned up with my mission and my values? That is really awesome. So... I think I kind of got a lot of the information I wanted to get out of that. So just to kind of wrap this up, uh, I created a couple questions before we started um, that are kind of quick. They don't have they don't necessarily have to be quick answers, but they're just quick questions. So if you want to elaborate, feel free to. Uh, the first one I kind of think you mentioned, but if you have another recommendation, I'd love to hear it. But what's one thing that the listeners that are listening to this can watch, listen to, or read before they go to bed? So like something quick, I have another question I'll relate to a longer commitment. So I would tell you that um, Science of Persuasion, again, it's on YouTube, 12-minute long video. It's really kind of cool. Um, that video directly has probably been one of the most successful things that I've ever had as a coach. Um, I was introduced to it almost 15 years ago, and I've continued to keep watching it, and it has been really impactful. Um, the other thing that I would, uh, also tell you is that there is a book. Um, so one of the most confusing things people have is the, the thought process of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And what people think of as work-life balance is that when you're at work, you're at work and when you're at home, you should be at home. That's not actually what work-life balance is. Um, work-life balance literally is, can you still be able to get all of the stuff that you need to do at home while you're at work? and vice versa, can you still get all of those things completed? And this is where that priority list comes into play. So there is a book, it's called How to Juggle Elephants. Um, it is a great book. Um, I'm going to tell you guys, it's right up my key. It's like 116, page, or 116 pages, but it is like type 20 font, double space. So it's <laughs> like really reading like 40 pages. Yeah. But it talks about um, being a master of your own circus. And realizing that there's three aspects inside of your circus. You've got your professional life, you've got your family life, and then you've got you. And that you have to be able to give balance to each one of those things. And even though, you know, when you're at work, you still, you know, you're still going to have your family there and you're still going to be sitting there thinking about them. 
you still need to be able to try to focus in on what work is, but then you need to be able to make priority lists to be able to make sure that you don't forget or neglect something in your, in your personal life or the area where a lot of people end up making a mistake is that they will um, forget about themselves. And when you start forgetting about yourselves and your own physical health and your own mental health, that's when things start to get derailed and that's when you start feeling like, I call it quicksand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be professional quicksand, personal quicksand, whatnot. It is literally when you are, you feel like you're, you're just, you're spinning tires no matter what and everything just keeps continuing to pound on you and pound on you. And all of a sudden you're kind of going to this whole point of, can I ever get out of this? Well, yeah, you can. The way you have to get out of it is, being able to know how to juggle, you know, the three parts of your life. The elephants. Exactly. You juggle your elephants. So that those are the two things I would tell you are really, really, really impactful. If you guys want another one, Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends, um, beautiful book, but it's not has been as professionally impacting as the, the Carnegie. Huh? Car- D- Dale Carnegie? Dale Carnegie. So Carnegie. Um, this is actually a, a random fact for you guys, and just so everybody knows, I'm a big random fact person. Um, it, the name Carnegie is not pronounced <laughs> Carnegie. It's pronounced Carnegie. <laughs> and so you have Andrew Carnegie, who is the big, huge um, you know, steel titan, uh, one of the richest people that has ever lived in the United States. Yeah. Um, it was actually one of his descendants. I think it was his nephew. His name is Dale Carnegie. The book was written in the 20s, um, 1920s, that is. Yeah. Um, and it has been updated since then. I think the last update was like back in the early 2000s. And they just changed the different way of the topic so it actually makes sense. But it is a great book um, to listen to just on how to use every day inter- you know, interactions with people. Mm, and then what's it called again? Um, how to make friends. How to make friends. So that way you guys can uh, look it up. Well, uh, appreciate it, Johnny. This has been uh, really cool. First, uh, like official interview type thing, and uh, I think we'll definitely have to talk again when I maybe get a little better. Maybe you can see the progression. Maybe it's almost more of like I don't know. I kind of see with, a, with some of the creators I listen to right now is they they started somewhere, right? But then it's almost like they go back to the people that they started with and they retalk. And I, I definitely want to do that with you. I definitely want to be able to reopen it back up and and to see what my perspective is like in two or three months, really before I go to Boise um, in August. So we'll definitely have to keep keep that in touch. And uh, if you guys like him now, uh, stay tuned until we get to August and we'll be able to, you guys will be able to hear him again. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate it very much. And uh, that's great. Johnny, would you say your condolences? Yeah, there are no condolences. Well, the only condolence I'll give you guys is sorry. I breathe really loud, and I know <laughs> that that's what you guys are going to hear a lot in this conversation. So, uh, apologize on that. But otherwise, Jake, very proud of you for doing this, man. And I look forward to more conversations, sir. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode with my uncle Johnny Morissette. And please make sure to follow me on Twitter at lights underscore show. 